Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. And at Valley View Friends Church, we do that through our saying that we are learning how to live as God's people, reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. We're also on Facebook. And these podcasts, Podcasts are posted there. You can, they're on our website. They're on our Facebook page. There are places where you can find podcasts. You can subscribe and always get the next message. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. In my home, the Walker household, we have to be careful because we live with a liar. Yeah, we live with a liar. Who is this liar? It's our dog, Sophie. The problem is she's never full. My wife Betsy and I have to check in with each other at every feeding time, and we ask each other, did you feed the dog? Did you feed the dog? Why? Because even after being fed, our sweet dog will look at us in the eye and silently tell us, I've not been fed yet. I'm starving. My stomach is empty. And more than a few times, she's tricked us into feeding her a second dinner or even a second breakfast. She gets fed twice a day. I don't think we have fed her both in the same day, you know, double breakfast, double dinner. That would be awful. Now, growing up, my parents and I had another Labrador named Anne. She was a yellow Labrador. Sophie's chocolate colored, but Anne was yellow. And Anne was the same type. She she was never full. And so as a family, we worked out some signals to help figure out whether or not the person who was in the house before had fed her or not. However, we had one habit probably a bad habit. Uh, It was a cute thing, but it it was a cute thing. We would allow the dog to sample her dog food when we refilled the dog food bin. See, we had this Rubbermaid tote in the lower kitchen cupboard. It would hold, I don't know, maybe two weeks worth of dog food. And when it ran out, we would take it down to the basement and refill it from a much larger bag of food. And this was a big moment for Anne. She would watch us as we carried that bin downstairs. She would watch as we opened the cabinet, and she would watch as we got the big bag of dog food out. And and she would watch as we poured that food into the bin, and the bin started to overflow. I'm sure in her world, the lights beamed down from heaven, the angels sang as we filled that bin of dog food. And then came her moment. My mom would turn and ask the dog, do you want a sample? And at that phrase, do you want a sample? The dog would shove her face into that bin of food and grab as big of a mouthful as she could. We'd have to push her away from the container or else she would go back for more. On one occasion, my mom and I were filling that bin with food and uh, we were just chatting away about the week. We weren't really paying attention and that was a problem. The dog, uh, we didn't ask her, but the dog started to take her sample, and a few minutes passed, and then my mom freaked out as she looked down into the bin and saw that it was much more empty than it was a few minutes earlier. Our dog had eaten several meals worth of food, and we were worried that she'd be sick, because, you know, that's a lot for her to eat. And that dog certainly did lay in the kitchen that night and kind of moan, although it was happy. She was content. I'm pretty sure if you would have asked our dog at the time, she would have said, no, I'm not full. I need to be fed. She would have kept eating if we had not stopped her. Well, it's not good to let our dogs eat 
and eat and eat like that. I'm not sure they'll ever feel full. But there are times when it is good to be full, and Colossians chapter 1 tells us that the Christian is to be filled, to be full, of the knowledge of God's will and with spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the Apostle Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae, as well as for you and me. He prays this prayer with purpose, that that filling that he's praying for has a function. He explains it in the following way in, in verse 10. He says, when you're full of this knowledge, you will be able to first walk worthy of God. Secondly, you'll be able to fully please God. And third, you'll be able to bear fruit. And fourthly, he says, you'll grow in your knowledge of God. And so today, I want to draw your attention to the purpose of fully pleasing God. This year, we've been talking about holiness, being a holy people for God. And one of the ways we please Him is by being holy. So, this is kind of getting us back on the quest of learning what it means to be holy. So, as I read the scripture today, I want you to hear the scripture verses as the prayer that they are. Because Paul is writing a letter to the Colossians, but in it, he includes this prayer. And it's important to keep in mind that Paul's never met these Colossian Christians, but he wants the very best for them. And also remember, Paul's writing from prison. And his prayer is not about his own problems or his own physical needs. He's concerned with the spiritual health of others, specifically the Colossians, and then ultimately you and me. So, let's go ahead and read the text in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to actually read from a little different Bible translation today. It's the ESV. And so, the text reads like this, beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The big idea I want you to walk away with today, because this text says a lot of things, and we're going to focus in on a very small piece of it here fully pleasing to Him. But the big idea is this, the Christian is called to live in a way that all their thoughts and all their actions are pleasing to the Lord. I like how the ESV translates the phrase, fully pleasing to Him. That gives us a bit to work with, to chew on there. When it says to Him, it's to God. So, we're to be fully pleasing to God. And we need to understand that pleasing God starts... We have no hope of pleasing God unless we start with knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior and putting our faith in Him. You've got to have Jesus if you're going to have any hope of pleasing God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So, we've got to have faith and our faith needs to start with Jesus. Now, let's take a closer look at the parts of the phrase, fully pleasing to Him. And the first idea is this, you are to give all to God. Fully is the word. Other Bible translations use some different words. Um, all 
is how the King James reads. In all respects is how the New American Standard reads. Always is the New Living Translation. In every way is the NIV. I do like that one quite a bit. It kind of talks about how that's everything. And here in the ESV, it's fully, completely, totally. Regardless of the word, the idea is completeness. We are to please God in everything. We're to give him 100%. You're to hold nothing back from God. The challenge is, is that we will often say, yeah, I'll give myself to God. But what we really mean is I will mostly give myself to God, or I will give my part of myself to God, or just some of myself to God. We're supposed to give all to him. Paul is writing the scripture from prison. That detail right there tells us that he knows what it means to give himself fully over to God. He wants everything he does, everything he is to honor God, even if the consequences are uncomfortable, even if the consequences are beyond his comprehension. He wants all of it to be for God. Augustine, when an early church father, wrote these words, God gives where he finds empty hands. God gives where he finds empty hands. That's a great phrase there. I like that a lot. Uh, The idea behind that phrase is, is that God works with those who have let go of all of that we possess and surrender to him. And the problem is, is many of us are trying to receive from God with hands that are already full. We're hanging on to something. God, you can have everything except for fill in the blank, whatever that thing is. And you might have something in mind. We often tell ourselves, well, God won't mind if I hang on to that. He's, he's made me responsible for that, whatever it is. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's something you're really good at. He made me to enjoy this. Why shouldn't I hang on to it? But as long as we hang on to something, our hands are not empty. And they're not able to receive what God really has for us. So God gives where he finds empty hands. And when those those hands are truly empty, we can fully please God. Because we've surrendered everything to him completely and totally. Second idea here is that you are to please God. All right. First, you give your all, but then that's given to please God. I think about it for a moment. What does it look like to please God or for anyone that for that matter? And, and that's the trick is pleasing people is very difficult because we change a lot, but God doesn't change. And there are all kinds of things that please God. The idea here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, with that word please, is it really means willing service. Pleasing God is a decision that you make continually, daily, to please Him, to honor Him, to serve Him. And so, yeah, there's action in it. There's also respect in it. And so, we need to ask the question, what does it mean to honor someone? Not respect them. Give them special recognition. Webster, the 1828 edition, which I think is a great one to look up if you want to find uh, definitions of words. And I, there's a website, Webster 1828, that will give you the older version of the Webster Dictionary. New one's good, but the old one has a lot packed into it. And Webster 1828 gives a definition for honor as a verb like this, to revere, 
to respect, to treat with deference and submission, and to perform relative duties too. That's very interesting. So it's not just to say, yeah, I think highly of you. It's to revere. It's to submit. It's to perform duties to that person or per- person there. That idea of submitting keeps popping up, doesn't it? If we're going to give all, we've got to surrender. And if we're going to please, well, we've got to surrender and submit and, act, and do acts of service, do our duties. Here's a quote about honor. I think it's very good. It's from Thomas Carlyle. It says this, Show me who you honor, and I will know what kind of person you are. And that gives us a clue. And I think Paul had this in mind when he was writing to the Colossians, telling them to fully please God. Pleasing God is much, as much about honoring God as, is, as it is about shaping our character. Because who you honor will say a lot about who you are. And please, do not forget that all of this phrase, fully pleasing to Him, means that we that God is the one that we're supposed to please. All right? He, he's the focus. He's the goal. It's Him. Because there's all kinds of others that we can please. Eugene Peterson writes these words, Most people are dominated by a sense of self, not a sense of God. How do you keep your mind focused on God instead of yourself? That's a challenge, isn't it? And there are a lot of ways that we can keep focused on God and, and keep our, Him as number one and, and put ourselves uh, second. But I want to mention three very quickly, three things that can help us to fully please God and uh, make sure that it's God that we're honoring. And that those three things are knowing our priorities and ordering them rightly, uh, obeying, and knowing our attitude and having a right attitude. So, please, make God your top priority. There are a lot of people, when it comes to playing games or getting on an airplane or um, think of any activity, and there are a lot of people who like to go first. They like to get the reward first. They like to get seated first. They like to have first choice well, not, perhaps not everybody likes to go first, but we all like to get our turn, don't we? We all like to get our share. And at the very least, no one likes to feel forgotten or unwanted or skipped over in all the excitement. Because you want to know that you're important. You want to know that someone else has made you a priority. And a big part of fully pleasing God and honoring Him has to do with declaring that God is important to you by making Him first among your priorities. I would suggest that you do, that what you do in your free time, let me start this over because I think this is a really important thought here. I would suggest that what you do in your free time tells a lot, tells a story about your priorities. Yeah, what you do with your free time says a lot about your priorities. Because what you do in your free time reveals a lot about what you think is important. Ouch, huh? Yeah, I got to check what I do with my free time now, huh? You know, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he gave an answer. It's one a lot of you are familiar with. But did you know that answer is about priorities? See, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he responded like this in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the, first, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus was laying out priorities. He said, loving God comes first. That is to say this, you cannot love yourself and you cannot love others rightly without God as your top priority. Ezra Taft Benson writes these words, When we put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. Our love of the Lord will govern the claims for our affection, the demands on our time, the interests we pursue, and the order of our priorities. Priorities are important, but so is obedience. And obedience is your action that you can do towards God. Obedience means doing what God has commanded in His Word. We tend to make much, we make it a lot harder than it needs to be. You know, God says it, we should do it. <laughs> but that's a challenge, isn't it? Obedience is about action. And don't forget this about obedience. It's just as much about serving God as it is avoiding sin. Because a lot of people, when they hear about obeying God and the things that God tells us to do, they think of what God prohibits. Don't do this. Don't do that. You and I, we have a privilege of doing wonderful things for God. We share the good news of Jesus with others. We help others in need. And one really amazing way that we get to obey God is we get to be holy. I know that's odd for us to think about, maybe a challenge. How am I going to be holy? But we are called to be holy, and so we need to obey in that holiness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says this, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's God speaking. We're to be holy. You know, we're designed for a purpose, to have a relationship with God. And you can do a whole lot of things in life, but you are at your best when you're in relationship with God, when you are set apart for that relationship with God. And that's what holiness means, to be set apart. My mom used to sew quilts. And I remember as a child, uh, she had a particular rule when it came to her sewing equipment. She had a fine metal pair of scissors. They were really beautiful. And I, I loved their size, how they fit in my hand as a little boy, and how they felt. They had a real nice uh, grip to them when you opened and closed them. They was, just felt right. And uh, the rule was I was never to use those scissors to cut paper for any project I was working on. There are plenty of scissors that I could use for that, but these ones had a purpose, and my mom wanted them to remain clean and sharp for her projects. Could these scissors cut paper? Absolutely. But the paper would dull them, and I, as a little boy, would get tape and bits of glue on them. They were not really made for cutting paper. They were so small, it would take forever to cut across the page, but as a little boy, I wanted to try. But these scissors, they were at their best when used for sewing. There are lots of things that you can do, ways you can spend your time, people you can interact with, but you are at your best when you are set apart and holy in relationship with God. Will you obey Him that way? Last thing I'll talk about is our attitude. And I'd like you to think this, your attitude is a bit like a steering wheel for pleasing God. John Maxwell says this, life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And there's a lot of truth to that phrase. When I was a teenager, one of my main chores in the summertime was mowing the lawn. And for the most part, I did the task that was required of me. I didn't like mowing the lawn, but I did it. Um, 
And I can remember one particular time I really didn't want to mow the lawn, so I put it off, and I waited, and I waited, and the grass got a little longer than it should. It wasn't too bad, but it was going to be a little more work than normal, and eventually my parents insisted that I should mow, and so eventually I obeyed because, you know, parents do what they do, and they get you to do the task that you're supposed to do, and so I obeyed sort of. I went out, and I filled that mower with gas, and I turned it on, But I was angry, and I did not want to mow. And so then as I began the task, I had a thought. I'm not going to mow this yard in the straight, orderly lines that I'm supposed to. I'm going to mow it in curves and in X's and in figure eights. I'm going to draw pictures at the lawnmower. I'm going to push this mower every possible way on that yard, but straight and orderly. It looked terrible. The job took way longer than it should, and long before the last blade of grass was cut, maybe about a third of the grass was still long, and you could tell there are pathways everywhere, so there's still a lot to go, the mower ran out of gas. And that surprised me. Usually, you could mow the whole lawn and have some gas left over. And so I stood there and I blinked at the lawnmower and I realized I'm going to have to let this thing cool down before I pour more gas into it. And I looked back over the yard at all the squiggles and cross lines and it dawned on me, oh, I'm having fun being mad, but I've made a mess. There's something else I didn't notice while I was mowing with that bad attitude. And that was that there were storm clouds blowing in. Not just storm clouds, it was a front. And uh, it started to rain before I could finish mowing, and the rain continued for a day. (laughs) I remember sitting in my room, second story of our house, and overlooked the backyard. And so I could look down and see those crooked, squiggly lines and figure eights in the yard. And I, seeing that for a day from my room, I was embarrassed. I had let my attitude get the better of me. Now, as soon as it was dry enough to mow, I fixed it. Um, Unfortunately, grass is pretty easy to mow straight. But your attitude is a bit like a steering wheel. A good attitude will aim you at fully pleasing God. And a bad attitude will make a mess. Beware. The human race has a talent for complaining, has a talent for finding things to be frustrated with, has a talent for being overtaken by anger. And once you start complaining, you will find more and more to complain about. I want you right now to think of two different birds, okay? I'm going to, don't just think of any two birds, but picture in your mind two birds I'm going to tell you about here. The first one is a vulture. Think about what a vulture eats. And I know that is unpleasant. Vultures eat dead things, smelly things, gross things. It's just blech. When a vulture flies around, what does it look for? Yeah, it looks for gross stuff, and it finds that stuff. Now think of a hummingbird. They live in the same places as vultures do, but they eat something very different. They eat, well, nectar from a flower. You might have a hummingbird feeder at your home. The hummingbird, when it flies around, when it hovers, when it buzzes around, because they flap their wings so fast, they seek out and they find beautiful flowers. They find beauty. To feed from. When it comes to your attitude, you could choose to be a vulture looking for awful things, or you can be a hummingbird looking for beauty. What are you looking for? G.K. Chesterton writes these words When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude.
You and I are called to fully please God. That's a privilege. But I want you to remember, you're not left to figure this out alone. Just as the Colossians had Paul on their team praying for them, you have a whole community of people who are there for you. Don't forget that. And don't forget that you could encourage others in the act of fully pleasing God. Will you set your priorities, your obedience, and your attitude towards honoring God? Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray for each person listening in today that they would know how much you love them and care for them, that they can have redemption in Jesus. Lord, your word tells us to honor you, to please you, and help us to do this because we cannot do so on our own. Each of us are prone to pleasing ourselves or impressing others. Help us instead to aim at pleasing you with all, with our whole beings. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.